0: In 1993, Final Approach changed the way we hunt waterfowl. Now, over 25 years later, we're back at it. My name's Mario, host of the FA Podcast. Let's talk waterfowl tips, tricks, tactics, and more. It's all going down right here with the Final Approach Podcast. All right, folks, today we're joined by a partner of ours on the final approach podcast, uh, who does a lot for us, helps us on our, uh, last past web series has always been a partner, close friend, close everything. And I'm talking about federal ammunition where the motto is we will never sacrifice quality to make more ammunition. Does that sound good JJ? Yeah,
1: that sounds great. <laughs> Although, you know, in our hundred year history, we have, had a lot of different
0: models <laughs> but that's a pretty good one we're talking to j.j reich from federal ammunition um and so your title now chief everything i don't i'm not sure so oh no no, no 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 i'm whatever. whatever. chief peon pretty much
1: whatever bro whatever <laughs> you've been... well no my my title is manager of Press relations. So oh. I my job is to work with all the media out there to make sure that they know about our products. They have pictures. They have sure. press release. I write all the press releases. Um, I go on some events and things like that, uh, trade shows, to meet with the media and just talk to them. Because if if the media doesn't know our story, how are they going to tell their story? That's you right. Know?
0: That's right. Yes, you have to be the messenger with the correct information there's no doubt now your whole uh like everybody had like two years of covid you had like two years of covid and you had a year of magazine and hardcover book which is the federal 100 year anniversary stuff that's coming out like that that was your i I guess i could add another covid year to you because that was that consumed your whole year bud
1: yes definitely i um you know towards the end it got pretty dark i was pretty <laughs> sick of it i was like why am i doing this um and you know why i, I had to do it is because i brought up the idea at a meeting and so See? you never do that you never bring up a meeting uh, an idea at a meeting that you're not prepared to actually do you know, yourself. execute and i right. learned that the hard way man, again man. Um, this project but yeah. it was fun well
0: 100 well 100 percent. so there's the the magazine issue that's out, and I caught that in newsstands a while ago, uh, but the hardback issue, which is like the real deal, that is out uh, as of when? It's out now? Well, it
1: actually came out uh, to the warehouse on Friday, so okay. let's April 7th. It should be online, you know, in a couple of weeks at okay, least. perfect. Like-
0: so... So it's so it's coming so be looking for it. It is an incredible oh my god. Like even if you just grab the soft magazine that's out, like the magazine is legit. I mean there's so much in there. There's I mean top to bottom, handgun, uh rimfire, shotgun and like you name it, everything is covered in there. It's 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 pretty incredible. So Yeah, so
1: let's just backtrack for a second. So yeah. basically pre- preparing for our uh 100th anniversary which is technically april 27th uh in in 1922 on april 27th we incorporated it as federal cartridge corporation and um so this whole year in 2022 we're we're celebrating our 100th anniversary and part of those celebrations was one producing a softcover magazine it's 104 pages and then to producing a hardcover book, like a coffee table book, that's 240 pages. And OSG, or Outdoor Sportsman's Group, the guys that produce Guns & Ammo magazine, yep. they are the production company that put both of those projects together. So awesome. they have editors and writers and, and graphic artists and all that working hard. I, again, I was just the guy who could was the liaison for them to Federal to help them get all the material to get photos and to get quotes and to get all that stuff. So although I had a lot of uh, <laughs> effort in it, those guys are the ones that really put it together and, and, and did an awesome job. So,
0: so, so let me ask you this, like going through, going through like your whole, uh, the whole process, what, what stands out to you? Like maybe something you didn't know uh, something that really, you know, resonates and sticks with you? Like, tell me anything, because listen, I, I've, you know, you sent me all the info so I could go through it and, and do all that months and months ago. And, and, and we talked about stuff on our web series and anything else we're out about doing. So uh, there's a couple things that, that I saw, but is there anything that stands out to you or a couple things?
1: Yeah, there's a few things. Uh, the first thing would be that I was not alone. I mean, we had, we actually got the help of Anoka County Historical Society. So no, cool. a federal ammunition plant is in Anoka County in Minnesota, and we worked with our county um, historical society and museum to really help us. So we donated them boxes and boxes and boxes, dozens of boxes of things <laughs> that we have collected. For <laughs> people in the company that have collected over 100 years, they had, you know, old... Um, uh, you know, company newsletters and company oh uh, magazines and they had um, old advertisements. And so the, so all these people in the last 10 decades that work at Federal kept a lot of this stuff and they put it in boxes and we actually saved all this stuff. So we had old pamphlets and we had framed art and we had all kinds of stuff. But it was just so overwhelming. That it took a team of people at the Anoka County Historical Society to 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 basically go through and filter through all of them and document a ton of this stuff to to um, really preserve it because we had you know pieces of paper order forms original order forms from 1922 <laughs> oh that were god. still saved in a box somewhere. Oh that, my god! And we I, so then my job was to try to work with them and try to find all this stuff and scan it i spent like six thousand dollars just scanning old catalogs oh my you know? god <laughs> but now that stuff will live forever so well, whoever's sure. going to put together our 150th anniversary or 200th anniversary is going to have digital oh. files of 1963 catalogs so. oh my god that's
0: <laughs> insane that's insane you know like uh so w- what what stands out what stands out to me like first when i like when i started looking through all the info and people you know if you're a uh, if you're a gun nut, an ammo nut, you know, or you read a lot or, or, or you're into it, you know, maybe you have, you know, picked this stuff up in the, you know, in your lifetime. If you're younger, maybe you haven't gotten there yet. Or you're like, oh, I wonder what the history on that is. Like, like I'm going to run through a couple things that are pretty significant. And first on the shot shell side because uh, it's, it's pretty impressive. You know what I mean? So, so you talk about when it first started. And then as you progress, 1937 is the first time there's a three-inch 12-gauge shell introduced. Okay? That's pretty early on. Okay? Now we keep coming forward. And and I'm just going through a couple things that are so I think are so huge. So we go from 3 inch and 37 to 1973, which then is three and a half inch shells. Okay. Then I jumped to 96 and we're talking about tungsten polymer shot shells Then you jump to 07 and it's black cloud flight stopper and then you go to 17 and it's Redesigned black cloud flight control, you know, what I mean now it's the flight control flex wad Uh, and then you go to 18 and then, you know, as soon as we get to 18, it gets bananas. Cause we're talking about TSS and the, just the madness that TSS creates and what that, what, (laughs) what those shells can actually do. So, I mean, you talk about that kind of stuff. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible, right? Now, a couple other things that people not might not know, like I'm going to be the historian today, if you don't mind.
1: All right, but you did miss a couple of big things like steel shot. It was huge. Well, well sure. I'm going to. Right, right. And that was in the 70s. Right. And then also, a lot of people don't realize this, but it was all paper hull shot shells until basically the 60s.
0: Right. Right. Like I have. So I have. So 1960 is an earmark because that is actually when you guys color coded the shot shells. You know 12 16 and 20 and 10 you know 12 being red 16 being purple 20 was yellow and 10 gauge was brown uh 10 gauge didn't come till 77 but i mean that is that is the standard you know of what everybody watches today and you're like oh that's yellow that's a 20 do you know what i mean like that is so huge that I don't yeah. even think they and that understood. All
1: about safety, right? Correct. I mean, federal is all Correct. about safety for the longest time, right. and still is. But you know that that solved the twelve-twenty burst yes. issue that people were having, where they would accidentally put a twenty right. gauge into a twelve gauge, and then all hell could break loose at that point. So they color coded it, and that actually became an industry standard. Um, Sammy actually worked on that, um, and Sammy is. Uh, you know, this, I think it's Sport Sporting Arms and Ammunition Manufacturing Institute. Oh, yeah. That's the industry governing group that, that basically kind of self governs uh, the shooting industry right. to make sure that all the ammunition is, is built the same, you know, um, specifications and safe for, for, for uh, firearms. So, you know, to have, Work with Sammy on, on something like that back then it was just huge, and it's still, it's still cool today. Although there's a lot of different colors now, twelve gauge, sure. uh, just be cool. Like the marketing factor of Black Cloud, that shell is black,
0: right? Correct. But, Correct. Hundred uh, percent. So, I mean, there's so many things, and we're we're jumping around in the timeline, but there's so much to take in. Like, um, you know, like um, I'll I'll step back to thirty-seven. And and that's when you guys encourage Congress to go and pass the Pittman Robertson Wildlife Restoration Act. And that that like for for waterfowl hunters, that is the act that goes into motion and puts a tax on ammunition and firearms, which is, you know, billions and billions of dollars that go back into conservation. And, and that, I mean, that you want to talk about something that if that's not done, where are we today? You know what I mean? Like, like, of course you have your organizations and you guys have, you know, you guys have partnered with everybody on the conservation side, but this is what starts, I mean, that's what starts it all that, that right there
1: yeah i mean if we didn't if if we as a a culture or community didn't have that type of uh system in place you and i wouldn't be talking right now and federal wouldn't be making all the products that they are making now um and it just people just wouldn't be enjoying wouldn't have the wildlife to enjoy and that's the whole whole purpose of this all so that was really cool to learn that federal's on the forefront of that bill with congress um
0: yeah, I mean that, that changed the landscape of everything, like you said today, on, on conservation, on how we manage game, on where money goes, where the money comes from, you know, because you know there is always a, there's always a fight, or a heated discussion, or a discussion, whatever you want to say, with say a non-hunting, uh, group or something, uh, like what they. What they truly don't understand is the sportsmen are and the anglers like we are always the ones funding the wildlife projects, uh, funding the conservation projects, because we do truly care about all that because that's a part of our tradition and it's a part of our lifestyle and what we enjoy to do. And we we know we have to give back. It's just part of it.
1: Yes, exactly. And all the conservation groups like Ducks Unlimited or Delta Waterfall or NWTF or any any of those groups, too, are, are very uh, critical and crucial to, to everything. And so um, learning about that as far as um, when we uh, supported those groups financially and all that was really fun to, to uh, capture in, in these books as well.
0: You know, the... Um... God, when you sent me like all those, um, you know, couple like older pictures and like some some catalog stuff and some other like the coolest stuff that I, I saw. <laughs>
1: well, you know, again, the the paper shotgun hulls and the and, you know, could you imagine going duck hunting right now with, with paper with paper <laughs> shotgun shells? And you know, but that's what they did. That's I, that's how it did it all the I way up to the fifties. I you know. know. Uh,
0: the 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 stance that I watched and looked at all the stuff that you sent me like the stance of federal and what they took on like being a sportsman like they had released like a sportsman's creed the thing that was cool to me was seeing all these little uh, and they are 100% black and white cartoons right and they are talking about the farmers and how the farmers can help the wildlife right without burning fields and burning fence rows and things like that and then it goes into uh man there was a huge like push about homeless cats and how much the homeless cats were killing all the birds i thought that was pretty wild you know what i mean i don't know if there was like a homeless cat problem but obviously, so you know what I mean, like that. Yeah, to well, me...
1: still, there still is. It's, oh yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's you know they they <laughs> I feel our our company Federal Ammunition got pretty preachy in the 30s, which but I think it was necessary. I think that there was so much things going on and not a lot of people talking about the ethics and um, some moral behaviors that sportsmen should really concentrate on and teach teach younger generations um the whole game hog cartoons that they
0: had 100 i was i was just gonna say so here's my favorite it says wildlife enemies right and it says the rat the smartest of the destructive agents it's no good it has no defenders destroy Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the next one is homeless cat Destroy on sight. No defenders. because And it shows it like chasing some birds and, and, and game birds, and it's destroying them. And then we get to my favorite. It says the crow. The enemy that needs no protectors should be kept under control. So my favorite. And then, like you said, the game hog, it says, it's got a picture of a guy with just an absolute pile of birds, right? And it says, this man needs education. No other remedy available. Like, like they were so much on the forefront of doing like there was nobody like listen i wasn't around then but like everything that i looked into like there was no one else doing this kind of stuff and really stepping in you know to to say hey we need to manage hey we need to do this hey we need to keep this in check hey we need to talk to the farmers about you know not burning stuff there's even a thing about people driving too fast and and running over animals like like they were thinking so wide on that but really hitting stuff that were really pertinent information of what people should be looking out for yeah and
1: i think i think that they they did its job um i think a lot of a lot of um People picked up on that and uh, really preached that for decades and decades because now I think it's kind of a no-brainer for any hunter uh, out there that, you know, being a game hog is bad. Or, you know, there's even some cartoons where there was a proud person who shot a hawk um, and then there was, (laughs) you know, so much... You know people chastising him for why would you shoot a hawk or an owl you know that's horrible like don't do that but that was kind of a commonplace but way back when there was no game laws and stuff um but now it's just no all these common sense things are just no-brainers and i think that's hugely successful for yeah i mean
0: i mean that laid the groundwork for a lot of stuff that that like you're talking about that comes through today there was one about like feed the birds in the winter you know what I mean that goes to that goes to anything like like hey if you're going to plant some crops like you know like say you know listen the duck club that I have there's however many acres of corn you know we we feed way more birds than we shoot at at that place just like in every other uh crop management place that's managed for hunting or anything else in the country i mean there is nobody that's shooting more birds than are eating at at those places so we have absolutely taken that into consideration and are pressing that pretty hard
1: yes and that was really proud to see that um that our company was kind of in the forefront of raising those conversations and things like that yeah Um, and you know a lot of those conversations um for those cartoons and those topics really happened a lot with that at people at barber shops and gas filling stations and cafes back then because that's how people got their you know information talking to other hunters and um you know in their community we didn't have you know all this online social media type stuff there wasn't social media
0: they weren't sitting in the barber shop in the 30s on their iphone
1: (laughs) right exactly (laughs) and so but but that goes back to federal again you know we sold a ton of product um, at barbershops in the 1930s, at pool halls, at hardware stores, at all this, at at, uh, filling stations, you know, because we, as a a new company in the early 20s, it was very hard for us to get into gun stores um, because of Remington and Winchester. They had a lot of that already booked up. Those guys have been around for so much longer than us back then. And so they had that booked up. So we had to get creative. And we sold our products basically to small towns and barbershops and dentist's office and doctor's offices and hardware stores. And so to, to see our distribution be so of local and um, down home, that right. was really neat to see when I was doing all this research too.
0: Well, and listen, if you were like the only means of, let's say, advertising or getting your word out and name out other than the- other than having it in places like that was magazines so if any of these little you know, things that we're talking about these little ads were, were in a magazine like what did you do at the barbershop you look through a magazine and you BS with everybody or what did you do at the doctor's office you looked in the magazines waiting like if you saw any of that stuff then it was there to buy like that's an instant you know instant sale instant gratification let's call it of what just happened you know what I mean? So, I mean, I mean, that was, I mean, you could say that was way ahead of its time. I mean, you're talking about a point of purchase sale that somebody looked in something, saw something, and then it was right there to buy. Almost as quick as your phone.
1: (laughs) Right. Because like you would basically, you would have, yeah, exactly. Almost as quick as your phone, you know, but you, so I'm imagining, you know, you were in the 1930s, you were getting a haircut and, uh, you're looking in the mirror, um, watching the guy cut your hair, and there's a shelf above the mirror, and it just has shot shells up there, right? Yeah. So you're basically looking at him, the whole time you're getting your hair cut, well, you're probably going to walk out with an armful of shot shell I mean, no doubt that you can buy just from that guy right that day, and I, so I think that's really neat, um, and I actually did find um, a letter. So in 1922, I found a copy of a letter, it's an original piece of paper, and our president had a team of secretaries that typed out letters they got they got the um, hardware st- a list of hardware stores oh every God. single hardware store in the entire state of minnesota and they sent them a letter saying hey we are selling direct to hardware stores um, if you want to get some shot shell into your hardware store please send us a letter back oh my God. and I have a copy of that letter from August 1922, and then I found (laughs) a copy, original piece of paper from October 1922 from Perry Hardware in Brainerd, Minnesota, and it was just handwritten, and it just said, ship me three cases of (laughs) (laughs) 12-gauge. I think it was number four, and five cases of uh, 12-gauge number number six. Immediately, I need them right now. Rush ship them. Oh, my God. So it was like an example of the first order from federal um, being sold to just a local hardware store. And that was just so cool to see.
0: Well, and it's like, you know, you know what makes me crack up on that, which, you know, is, is funny now. But it's like you sent a letter, they sent a letter back, and it said, you know, send me ammo ASAP. So both letters probably took, you know, 10 days. And now you're saying rush sa, you know, ASAP. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. But hey, so it was just that's neat to see right. that
1: that's how business took place. Oh my then.
0: God! I mean, so I mean, so listen, federal. I mean, if you want to talk about starting grassroots, you know, you can't you can't get any more, you can't get any more grassroots than that. You know what I mean? Like you said,
1: well, I could actually get more grassroots. You, uh, Go. <laughs> Let's hear How it. How about BB guns? Right. Yes.
0: So,
1: so our first president's name was Charles Horn, and he actually w- worked for the American Ball Company in Minneapolis that basically made steel ball bearings, and he um, he heard of some trouble happening in the back uh, back alley of the um, of the um, of his factory where these teenagers would like. Kind of break in and like search the dumpsters for any um, uh, basically ball bearings that were um, that were being thrown away, so that they could use them in their BB guns. BB guns. Oh my God! So instead of Charles Horn getting kind of ticked off at these like teenagers, he actually said, "Well, these guys are looking for." ammo for their BB guns. Why don't we just package up some of these ball bearings and sell them them. to them as ammo, right? So he contacted Federal and learned that Federal and and tried to buy some of their um, machines from them Um, because Federal was actually started in 1916 um, by, uh, it was under a different name it was called Federal um, Cartridge and Machine Shop and it was by these two guys um, the Sherman Brothers and they they tried to make a go of it, and it just didn't work out. And the factory sat idle for two years, and it was it was basically just a flop. So when Charles Horn went in to try to buy some machines to make paper tubes to hold BBs, so basically the, their BB uh, tubes or the packaging, um, he learned that Federal was was. Basically, uh, defunct, and um, he worked with some investors and he bought the whole thing basically. And then he started it as a new company, Federal Cartridge Corporation, in 1922. And his first product, and we have <laughs> blueprints of this product, was a paper tube with a cap to hold BBs. BBs for BB BB gun. Oh my God.
0: Like, I mean, that's going, you know, so then that turns into ammunition and it just starts snowballing then but it starts with the bb gun which is crazy like who would have? like i didn't know that who would have thought of that uh, well you
1: started with the bb gun right i mean everybody oh 100
0: percent. 100 percent
1: that's so cool
0: i would have never i would have never thought that's how the company was like you know brought out and going now the the other interesting thing which um I, I look at and especially and we'll tie it back today in a minute, but the amount of government contracts that federal had to supply the U.S. military was, I mean, that was a uh, that was a huge portion of the business at times. And then I believe there was also. You know, hey, we need to open another factory to just do this part of the business. Is that correct? Yeah. So,
1: so how that how that goes? Uh, so, in World War Two, uh, to fight uh, the Germans and you know everybody else there, um, a lot of, especially uh, the English troops, they used uh, mortar rounds, and so those those mortar Bombs um, were basically—you you can remember seeing these on old movies—but they're these big tubes, yep. and you have this big kind of lawn dart, kind of dart bomb Total. with fins that you slide down the tube, and then it basically goes hits the bottom of the tube and then just launches out. Right? Um, that those mortar bombs were actually powered by shot shells. All right, so a traditional paper tube or paper hull shot shell that had a, a, a traditional 209 primer. And it was just completely loaded with powder. There was no shot. So it was right. basically a blank or a powder charge. Right. And so federal manufactured millions of those in on their shot shell line. And they, again, it didn't have any shot just had powder and it was used to, you know, they inserted that shot shell into the bottom of a mortar and then that, and then now it was charged and ready to go. And then right. they would slide those down there. So we got an order. We have actually found the, or we actually found the original letter from England asking for 1.4 million of those mortar rounds. Oh my God. And, and then the U.S. followed. <laughs> and then because we have made so many of those shot shell um, mortar igniters um, for the military, that's when. Our uh, president Charles Horn put his, you know, hat in the ring, so to speak, to uh, organize and build and run one of the ordnance plants for the United States. So I think there is several ordnance plants around the country that built ammunition for military. And so Charles Horn got the bid from the U.S. government to build an entire factory, a government-owned factory, and run that factory. Uh, to build ammunition and that's where we learned we did that for decades and that's where we learned and got machinery for handgun ammunition and centerfire ammunition so by the time all those wars were done in the 1960s we were able to bring centerfire ammunition and handgun ammunition into uh, into our factory and build that in our factory right Um, so we people don't realize this but we were only selling shot shells rimfire and bb's Right. Baby tooths until you know the
0: '60s. Right, because then, then it's like you have all this machinery, and the war's over. And now, what do you do? You know what I mean? Right. Like, let's put it to let's put it to use and get in those those categories. And th- those, you know, those categories, you know, end up turning into incredible, uh, you know, parts of the federal business. I mean, you talk about you know handgun and self-defense ammo and you're you know you i mean my god you get into rifle ammo and you know you guys have an enormous amount of rifle ammo and and very specific rifle ammo and then you know you guys were the the i think the first ones to do like safari loads and stuff like that right I mean, you yeah. you guys on the yeah. rifle side, you know, like, listen, I'm not the rifle guy. I'm not the big game hunter. But, you know, looking through some of that history stuff and then now you just saying, oh, yeah, we didn't we didn't get into that market until, you know, after all the wars and the machinery, you know, is sitting there idle. Like you guys turn that into a whole other creative category that just you guys start innovating there.
1: Right. I think. You know, the the biggest, one of the biggest milestones um, from federal would be obviously in 1963 doing handgun ammunition and um, center fire rifle ammunition. But that was basically just, uh, you know, standard stuff like a FMJ, full metal jacket, or a a soft point bullet. Um, Right. and, And it didn't happen until like 1976 when. We started asking ourselves well how can we get more market share into rifle uh, ammunition and we started looking at our competitors and a lot of our competitors uh were hand loaders you know they, our biggest hand, our big, the biggest market at that point was hand loaders who were buying sierra bullets or who were, were buying right. you know um nosler or some of these big companies sure. that were just producing bullets um, that for hand loaders and where hand loaders would want these specialized bullets so to get better accuracy out of the rifles and to, and to to have more of a brand name um, and better ammunition so we said well why would we go how, how can we go after the these hand loader markets so what we did was we we, we decided to join them and we uh, created business relationships with Sierra and with Nosler way back then to buy bullets direct from them. And then we loaded them in the factory and then we sold them as, you know, Sierra or Sierra bullets. So we sold them as factor federal factory ammunition using Sierra bullets. And that's where the right. federal premium line of ammunition was born, where we worked with these high-end bullet manufacturers and we didn't hide the fact that if there was their bullets, right. um, we right. used it as a marketing, um, you know, as a, as a bonus basically. Um, and now today, 2022, we work with like, eight of the major bullet manufacturers. We load Burger, we load Barnes, <laughs> Nosler, Sierra. We have some Hornady in there. We have, um, you know, all of them.
0: All yeah. The major yeah because you said those guys wanted, wanted specific accuracy, you know they wanted high end bullets they wanted to get the most out of their rifles uh on a big game trip when you're when you're you know you have a once in a lifetime trip you know you want to be dialed in you know what i mean like you know the 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 name that always sticks with me is you know the premium trophy bonded ammo like 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 and what you know ammo that word's out but whatever's in there whether whatever it is like that to me is like Like that is, that sounds like the top of the line. You know what I mean? That's what I want. You know what I mean? So
1: so I would say, like, the Nosler Accubond is a very popular bullet. And people love that Nosler, but they love, they love, a lot of people buy it from federal, federal premium Nosler Accubond. Yep. Now, when you get into the trophy bonded bullet, now that was actually a bullet that was made um, by somebody else. uh, And, he, we bought that from him uh, way like in the late '90s, early 2000s, where we knew that he had this awesome bullet technology. Oh, cool! And so we bought that from him. It was the Trophy Banded Bear Claw, and we bought that from him. We own it, and now you know, because he just didn't have the distribution on it, right? Right, so, right. I so, just think so of the name. Because that, now but... we could make our own. So then we started, you know, not only loading these premium bullets from all these other manufacturers, we also have our own bullets. And Trophy Bonded eventually became, um, the, you know, the Trophy Bonded Bear Claw eventually became Trophy Bonded Tip, right. and that eventually became, like, Edge TLR, and that eventually became Terminal Ascent. We kept improving on this bullet over the decades, and now we would say our best hunting round, um, you know, for centerfire rifle, hands down, would be our Terminal Ascent bullet, and that... Did come from technology we originally got from the trophy pond of bear class, so it's really cool to see our own stories develop as well
0: well and i'll I'll go to this like like okay, you guys one hundred percent don't sit still, and what I mean by that is okay you you bought this this you know, bullet or you bought this technology and it's really good and then you're like, Oh yeah, we could make it better. Like you, you guys are never sitting sitting idle saying, Oh yeah, that's great. Like we're we got it. And then you just sit there like you guys are constantly working and you know, of course everybody's trying to build like the the, the next better mousetrap, but you guys I, I just see is just it's non stop and it's non stop in every category and you know the <sighs> I can say this without a doubt because I've shot just about every shot shell out there for shotgun uh for wing shooting whatever else. There has been some duds throughout shot shell ammunition that's like this is not good. This is not good. Like you guys have not had any you know rounds any ammunition like that because I think you guys do enough testing, you're always ahead of the game. You're always pushing the the limits of stuff to get the best out of it. And you're not in a hurry to to bring it out. Like, you do enough testing. So, I, I, you know, that takes a lot of control and a lot of discipline to, to stay the course, stay in your lane, and don't come out with it until it is 100%, like, ready to go. So, I mean, you know, that's something that I don't think anybody really talks about with with federal, you know, outside in the general public, like that's not a conversation, but I think that's something that's, you know, really spot on about the business. You know what I mean? And where you guys go.
1: I I totally agree with you. And I I found some pretty awesome examples of that. Like when I said we, we announced, um, handgun ammunition, 1963. Well, we found, um, all these engineering notes and all these engineering, (laughs) like, documents from the late 50s where these guys were like were documenting all the testing that they were doing for um for handgun ammunition um 45 auto and and 45 long colt and things like that where they were just and and several um you know fire ammunition uh like the uh 250 savage and things like that where they just had notebooks upon notebooks of all their testing that they had done for years i think it started in 1958 and it took them five years uh even though they had all the equipment already and they had all this process it took them five years to actually launch that ammunition and we have proof of that through all this historical stuff we
0: found oh my god I, i i could only like my dad would be going bananas like reading some of the stuff you were you know seeing and going through because he he has been a major gun you know enthusiast and and you know like you know he's the shooter's bible is not far from his reach at any given moment or you know what I mean like he would he would probably be going bananas going through that stuff that you saw the history is just incredible it it, it truly is and you know look at where you guys are today and all the work that's gone on and you're still thriving and you're still creating you know new and better stuff so like I said, nobody's, nobody's sitting around just, like, collecting a check, like, going, hey, this is going great.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Well, other cool things that, we, that happened would be the fact that we, didn't, we don't ignore history. I think that um, you know, there are a lot of machines in the factory that are original machinery that is still operational today. Uh, from the 20s, I mean, there are wow. pictures of these guys operating these machines from the 20s, where our uh, director of operations says, "Yeah, that, that machine from 1923 is over um, in the factory on aisle 171, or whatever number."
0: And it's working.
1: It Reference number. Like those machines are still operating. And in the hardcover book, we actually have a story that's called "New Ammo on Old Machines." Um, when all this ammo demand uh, came across in the last couple of years. Oh, yeah. And we were looking to increase our um, production. Uh, and But instead of going out and buying another, you know, $5 million machine and, and all that brand new machine, we have a team. It's called um, Operations Implementation Team. And they went back to some of our old, uh, where, we have some old sheds, well, it's not They're not old, but we have some pole buildings on property that house and shelter all this old equipment from the 1920s 30s and 40s that is that is basically somehow broken down and somehow got moved to the storage shed but instead of recycling it or selling it for scrap metal or whatever (laughs) these guys kept it and so Now they go back, and we actually have the story where they found this machine from 1924, and they brought it in. And the biggest damage to it was pigeon uh, crap, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Where these pigeons got into the barn and crapped on this stuff and basically made the metal, you know have some sort of corrosion and whatnot Correct. but they sandblasted it all they painted it all and then they have a, a machine and die and, and tool shop where they created new gaskets and they created new uh, bushings and bearings and all that stuff and they recreated these machines to actually produce brand new ammo in fact we load oh my uh, uh, 350 Legend on. Now we load 350 Legend on this machine that we refurbished from 1924, and that's building one of the you know the newest cartridges of our time, 350 Legend on one of our oldest machines that we actually that we have in the factory, and so that kind of stuff is is really cool um, that I learned.
0: That's that's pretty insane. That's, <clears throat> I mean, that's uh, I mean, who would have thought of that? Like, hey, let's go. Let's go in the barn and see what'll work, you know, see what'll do that that's that's taking some balls to go and do that, and then getting it all up and ready and going, yeah, it's you know the thing about <clears throat> the thing about old machinery is it was one hundred percent built to last, you know what I mean, because it yeah. wasn't like so. I mean, I'm surprised somebody didn't scrap it for the scrap metal and the pricing they could have got for all the metal and and how it was built. They probably could have got a pretty penny for that, but <clears throat> you know, but that's a pretty that's a pretty cool thing. Uh <clears throat> I'm looking through the um, I'm looking through the the soft cover magazine of the 100th issue. So uh of the federal issue. We're talking to JJ from Federal Ammunition on the podcast. Um and the thing that I see uh a lot of is very uh and I don't want I don't know if you guys were the first ones to really do this but you you guys are the most out there with it uh and have been for a while but it's like very specific game loads and what I mean by that is like just on the shot shell side like You have an upland side you have a you have an upland specific ammo you have a snow goose specific ammo like you started like you guys started calling out you know species and and pushing certain things i mean and then throwing it back like you guys were the first ones to do like a like a specific turkey load so so that's where i'm going like you guys were were like not only building, like, hey, this is 12-gauge ammo, da-da-da. You started telling customers, like, hey, this is what this is for. This is for if you're an upland shooter and you shoot pheasants. Like, this is for the snow goose guys. This is, you know, for close range. Like, like you know, and then you did that on, the, on the, the big game side and the rifle side. So, I mean, I think that is even a step more specific than most companies
1: yeah i think that um and that's cool you notice that um however that actually started um in in the 20s so what i mean by that is in um i have a price sheet that i found um that we scanned and it's it's, i believe it's from 1925 and it has a game guide on it um, which what what that means is it, it tells you what load it is and then it tells you what 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 purpose is for so it right, says right. you know this load is great for turkeys this load is great for
0: i remember uh, seeing those ski. yep i remember seeing those not obviously in the 20s uh <clears throat> but i know what you're saying but what i'm saying is like you guys have taken that a step further and you're you're like there's a snow goose on the box there's a pheasant on the yeah. box like like that's what i'm saying like the, yeah the that's, idea that's what i'm saying is, like right
1: so so we had those game guides on our price sheets, and we would give right. them to all the dealers, and then, and then we'd also give them to our customers so that they could explain that to people. But then later on, and it's so cool to see packaging changes and marketing oh, yeah. changes. And later on, then you see all those game guides um, in the catalogs in the 1960s and 70s, and they got even more specific. And then later on, um, I, I would really attribute... Our, us changing our packaging more because we were listening to our customers like our customers gotcha. would say hey yeah these game guides and these catalogs are great but it's difficult for us as a gun store uh, owner um, or a sporting goods store owner to you know visit with every customer and say alright well if you're going to hunt turkeys you mm-hmm. want to use this you're gonna hunt, you know snow goose you want to use this. so we like the gu- so they would say to us we'd like the, these guides um but well, we just can't communicate that to our customers all the time. We're just too busy. So then we started creating posters and they had these big game guide posters that I found from the sixties and seventies yep. yep. and eighties that they would hang in, you know, sporting <laughs> goods stores for people to kind of learn what products go with what. Right. And then eventually um, it also just, we just said screw it, I guess, and put it right on the box. Well, so, <laughs> well,
0: because everybody like got back busy in
1: the sixties and seventies. There, you're right. There was <laughs> yeah. pheasant loads and duck loads, and it was right. right on the box. And just make it easy for people at the point of sale to say, "All right, I'm going pheasant hunting. I right. need a case of that because it has a pheasant on the box."
0: That's right. That's why I said, "Well, people got too busy, and they're like, they come in the store, and they're like." I don't have time to read that. I don't know if I'm going to read that. And it's like, you know what? Let's just put it on the boxes and it's easy. And people just go, okay, I'm doing that. I'm grabbing that. Like, let's go. So, I mean, that's 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 huge stuff. And and the marketing and, oh, my God, I watched some of those old marketing videos and, and pictures. And, oh, my God, just comedy. Like, it, it's so, so cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the one duck video where the guy's sleeping and the duck is, like, whispering in his ear is probably one of the funniest old-school things. Uh, And I don't even know if that's, like, on, you know, YouTube to find. I have no idea. But we're going to have to – you guys are going to have to put that up at some point because that is, like – That is so classic.
1: We're actually uh, waiting (laughs) until – April 27th when our it's our actually (laughs) official date. And then we're going to launch this big landing page on our website. That's going to have a ton of historical stuff. And then I'm sure our YouTube page and social media will start pouring out.
0: Oh God, I can't wait. And and
1: old, uh, old commercials. I can't wait. I can't wait.
0: Um, so we can, we can wrap up, but I want to, I want to wrap up on something like that's very, very current. You could throw in whatever you want at the end here too, but, um, we were talking about like the government contracts and everything that was going on you know if people don't read or don't look at you know all the info all the time you guys sent over a few million rounds to ukraine um and that was like how did that that just said somebody just said hey let's do that i mean how did that come about that
1: was yeah i mean i guess it just made sense um <clears throat> i think ammo inc was the first company to announce that they were going to uh put you know donate um some ammunition to ukraine and then our, our president saw that and our president is jason Vanderbrink. he's really with it and he yeah. he um he knows that it's just basically the right thing to do and right. so uh, and and it's 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 not like we didn't have dealers over there like we have huge connections over there so right. it wasn't wasn't like this thing where it was really difficult for us to do because it's, we have customers over there. And right. so um, we're an international company of customers all over the world. So um, he just felt that it was our duty to, to help people. Um, and a lot of the t shirts and things that we sold all go directly to support the refugees. Um, and so.
0: Yes. So, 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 yeah. Yeah. You definitely that's need to, everybody to. needs to go get a, a Ukraine t shirt that's on the website. Uh, that's where the money's going. That was a pretty cool thing. So, yeah, you guys are doing, you know, like I said, you guys never stop on, you know, innovation, conservation, like dedication to our sport and to, like, everything that's out there that, you know, you guys are trying to do as good as you possibly can do as a company, which it's kind of hard to f- – I don't want to say hard to find these days, but it's not everywhere. So, I mean, you, you guys – we can definitely take our hats off to you guys on what you're doing on, on all fronts. And that's just cool to be partnered with you guys and associated. I mean, that's, I mean, that's as cool as it gets for us.
1: Yeah. Like the Olympic shooters in Tokyo, that was cool. I mean, we just, we just do a lot of, uh, it seems like we do a lot of things to represent America because this is America product and there's not a lot out there, you know, that's, truly produced. There's 1,400 employees in uh, Noka County, Minnesota, producing ammunition every day right here in the USA. That's just so cool to be a
0: part of that. Well, and I think it would be, uh, you know, like, say, an Olympic shooter wins or, you know, somebody, you know, like, I gotta think, like, whoever is on the assembly line that made those rounds sees that has to has to have like a different kind of pride about their job because yeah we, you know, listen, we make a great you know, like say, I'm the person on the line, like, yeah, we make a great product i'm I'm proud of what I did, but you know now you go the extra step, and you know they win a medal with around you sent over, like uh, you know stuff like that, I mean, or being a part of listen, just being a part of like somebody's you know first deer, first duck uh a trophy animal like that that's i mean that's cool, that's cool stuff to be associated with and you always remember that part of it you know what i mean yes yeah there's a
1: ton of there's a lot of pride within the factory We have you know the american flags and the you know the team usa banners and posters and we hang pictures we have a newsletter we real we'll show letters and pictures of our customers who you know shot their first um, <laughs> that's cool buck or whatnot so we constantly the the factory workers are constantly being reminded of that and they are constantly um happy and prideful to to see those examples so it's a really cool place to work i'm pretty pretty blessed and and um I'm happy to to work there and and being a part of these two books has been huge um and uh, a lot of fun and I just can't wait to see um, people's reaction when they see them and read them. And, uh, and a lot of this content, again, will be on our website um, starting um, in May. So people can check out our website, and that's going to update every month with new stuff. So Yeah, I mean, you're,
0: you're part of history, bud. You know what I mean? You're part of ammunition history, which is that's pretty damn cool. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. so I encourage you and well, – no, I don't have to twist your arm very hard, but No, bro, not at all. Not <laughs> I encourage all. you and all your listeners to go check out our website throughout the whole rest of the year and, and, and see some of this cool stuff that we put
0: together. And I'm sure there'll, that maybe there'll be some cool things that happen throughout the year with the anniversary. You know, I don't know. Maybe there'll be some uh, – I'm not speaking for you guys, so maybe we'll see something neat that we need to –
1: well there's definitely gonna be a retro packaging. Oh yeah. Sure. That's
0: well, what that's I was I was that's what I was leaning for. <laughs> yeah.
1: The retro packaging is super cool.
0: Oh my god, I can't wait. I cannot wait to see that. That is so cool. And then because you know how I'm just talking about for me, like I do have some I do have some old school federal boxes that I got from somebody and I was like, Oh my god, those are so old, I'm putting those aside. But how much stuff have we used, like, long ago when we were kids that I go, oh, my God, I should have kept that. So now it's come back around, and if I get some, some throwback packaging, I'm totally putting some away, you know, for, for my kids. So they can go, oh, yeah, look at this. Like, so I'm, I'm pretty pumped about some stuff like that. I'm excited. So, yeah, lots, lots going on. You could check the federal website. There's an and we enormous sell amount online
1: of info, too. We sell ammo
0: online, 100%. Too you can go to the custom shop if you want something specific you can get some swag you can order some like you can do what. there's so much going on there you just go you get lost in there for you know a couple hours so watch when your boss walks by if you're in the office or whatever like yeah you could be caught in there for hours so good luck <laughs> yeah <laughs> but
1: well thanks sir oh yeah, man awesome. I, I can talk about this all day so.
0: <clears throat> i know that's the that's the painful part like w- like this could go on for hours there is so much info but do yourselves a favor get the soft back get the magazine uh grab the hardback when it's out like go to the website and you'll get to see some stuff like like jj's talking about throughout may and the rest of the year like it's just a cool part to it's just a cool thing to be a part of this year and just kind of you know uh, like make another thing that that excites you for the fall and hunting season or if you're doing anything or shooting this summer or whatever like it's just really cool stuff going on so yeah bro appreciate everything all the stuff is so cool the info and throwbacks and taking a walk down you know history and memory lane that's awesome appreciate it well thanks for having me again It was great talking to you all right jj thanks bud i'll talk to you soon appreciate it J.J. Reich, who uh, is at Federal Ammunition, and he is, man, that's my guy. Like, he's just so into it. Uh, Everything was incredible. All the information, like I said, if you want to go, hit up Federal's page. uh, Hit up the website. Go to the social pages. Check out what they got the whole rest of the year. If you need any details on on our stuff, uh man go to hit up our social pages hit up fabrand.com uh you can go check out the last past web series where federal is a as a partner of ours and 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 that's all we shoot is their ammo throughout the year and wherever we're going hunting so lots of cool stuff going on with federal ammunition we appreciate them a ton all right that's the fa podcast for today appreciate you listening